Welcome to Teaching Restored. I'm Kevin Jones. And I'm Julie Hilliard. And we get to discuss how to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just what, but how to do it. And Julie has a special one for us today. Tell us all about this, Julie. What are we gonna talk about today? Okay, so last time we talked about questions, right? And Kevin right. presented all sorts of phenomenal information, a little bit of a drink from a fire hose we're still processing. And today we're gonna talk about how to respond to those questions. And so I wanna start by just kind of asking you, when you think about your, I mean, I don't know if you think about it the same way that I do, so I genuinely am asking this question. When you think about your role as a teacher, what do you think your primary responsibility is? To help them build more faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so to help people build more faith in Jesus Christ. How do people, remember when we talked about questions last time, we talked specifically about how you help people make a connection between the content that you're teaching and their lives. And one of the ways that you do that is by asking questions, right? right? And why why do you think asking questions, like I, I know, I mean, you've studied the heck out of this. Why do you think that asking questions is a way to help people actually figure out how to develop a deeper connection with the savior? Like why, why is that such a critical part of it? I think the question, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting as, I, as, as I've studied questions, when you ask a question, it's almost like mind control. Okay. Because manipulation, <laughs> kind, kind of like um, <clears throat> a Jedi mind trick. I used to, I used to, my kids used to think that I was a Jedi. And it, oh. and it was, it was fat when they were younger. It, it isn't so much. I have never thought that. So you <laughs> maybe you should think that. that I am a Jedi anyways. So, um, but I think that when, when we ask a question, a person can't not try to answer. Okay. And so like when they ask impulsive, like they have to. Yeah. I mean, okay. in their mind, I mean, you really can't ask a question without them either thinking, oh, I'm not going to think about that now, or, oh, what is the answer, right? And so when you, when you ask a question, the, the people that you are asking the question to, they become a part of the process. They become, they start adding in their story. They start adding in their thoughts and their feelings to it. Okay. Okay. So that's why. So here's, here, what you just said gets at the point that I want to make. I feel like part of our job as a teacher in order to help people deepen and develop their faith in Jesus Christ and draw closer to the savior is to encourage dialogue in class. And I want to define that based on, so have you ever read the book, Crucial Conversations? I am reading it. Okay. It should be required reading. And I would say for every teacher, but I think for every human, that's just my humble opinion. That in scriptures, but no, just kidding. I'm, I'm not going to. Pretty close. <laughs> yeah. but, but it should be required reading in my mind. And so they okay. define dialogue in that book as the free flow of meaning between two or more people. And so I've been processing what's the difference between meaning and information? Because I think most people would define dialogue as the free flow of information, right? Like you're talking back okay. and forth. So what's the difference between information and meaning in your mind meaning is information interpreted okay i would say interpreted how like how are what's your meaning how what would that include so if you have some information 
what is the filter that you interpret it through? Well, that's that, that's just what I was going to say. It's whatever filter I have at that moment in right. that context is what that meaning would be of that information, because we can take the same information, give it to both of us and different filters, different meanings. Right. Totally. Totally. Okay. And so I think about though we we often think, you know, that our when we're talking about the free flow of meaning, part of what we're trying to understand is, you know, what people's history is, what is the paradigm or the lens through which they're viewing or perceiving or processing whatever it is that we're discussing. And in order for us to really have people bring their meaning, if you will, which is way more valuable than information, like who gives a yes. rip if they can regurgitate what we're talking about? Right. We want people to be able to process and like build a story almost, their own story based on what it is we're talking about. And obviously our lenses, our stories are going to be limited based on our history, our experience, our circle of knowledge, like we talked about last time, all sorts of things. But the meaning that they assign to what it is that we're talking about is the most valuable part of it. And why, I mean, like, why is that so valuable? Why is meaning so much more valuable than information when it comes to not a classroom, but you know what I mean, like a group discussion? <clears throat> so I go, just the first reaction to that question yeah. takes me back to um, advertising. Okay. When you give facts, People don't react or actually, well, I guess think of buying, but we yeah. don't buy off of information. We buy off of emotion. We buy yeah. off of the meaning that it gives to us. Right. And so yeah. if we want to, the, the students or the person that we're asking the question to, to buy in, buy into it. And it, it, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to accept everything that we're saying, because actually it could be the contrary to that, but yeah, but to do that, they have to interpret it themselves and add the meaning. So for them to really get into it, I mean, I, information can come in. I, I feel like it's a ball. It can bounce right off of right Ricochet. off of the person. Yeah. But the meaning dives into them and kind of sticks with them. Okay. So you want, I want, we want people to invest enough to assign meaning to what it is that we're talking about. But then we also want them to share that meaning with all of us yes we want this free flow of meaning to happen in our discussions because it deepens the discussion yes we all benefit from the perspectives of each other our minds are enlightened broadened our perspective is expanded all of these really healthy good positive things happen and i really think that the spirit testifies of meaning and so if we want the spirit to testify to the individuals within our classroom he often will do that through the comments and yes. the interpretations of the people that are in that space with us having that discussion. And so if we want to create an environment where dialogue can occur, we are, and again, this is a crucial conversations term, we are literally trying to create a shared pool of meaning, which is basically this gigantic Think of it like a pool of water, right? Where everybody is adding their meaning into it. Sure. And that can create, you know, obviously 
enriched interpretation can deepen our own understanding, blah, blah, blah. You can see the benefit. Yes. So the next thing is what do you think stops people from adding to the shared pool of meaning? What inhibits people from staying in dialogue in a setting like a teaching setting? About 100 things have run through my head. Okay, so name off a few because I want, I would really invite the people that are listening to this to hit pause and like write down what are some of the things that you've experienced, for example, that have caused you to not want to add to the shared pool of meaning during a discussion. So what are some that you would just rattle off? Okay, it could be the attitude or the mindset of the person who came in to be a part of the discussion. It could be the, quote, teacher who came in and their love or not love of the students. It could be the room setup itself. It could yep. be the temperature. It could be. I mean, <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, that's about it. Could be the smells that we hear smell in yeah. the, yeah, right? That's just happened to me. I have a bionic. <laughs> I don't, I have, you took my bionic. We like, I'm the opposite of you in that way. I got a double dose. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it could be, uh, it could be so many, I mean, it could be that, you know, if you're working with uh, audio visual, yeah. is it working right? It, how well is it working? It exactly. could, yeah, it could be what happened right before to yeah. the whole group. I mean, you know, did they come, where did they all come from that right. sets the toe? I mean, uh, yeah. So many things. Yes. Okay. So I, as you're listing all of these things, I really do categorically think that most of the things that you listed fall under the umbrella of distractions, right? Other things that are distracting them from really investing. So here's one that I want to add to it. And I want you to tell me if this resonates with you too. I think the psychological safety that they feel in that space, meaning do they feel comfortable? Do they trust the people in that space, you as an instructor with their meaning? Or do they feel like I got to put up a wall? Like I can't share what I really feel. I can't share what I really think. Or... Yeah. Or let me add to that. Not only I can't, but I don't want to. It's not worth it. Yeah. Like I'm not motivated. I actually feel almost threatened. Yes. And so we, you, you can tell, you can see it. You can. can, It's palpable when people shut down. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of our roles is to make sure that we create a safe, and I mean that like in terms of psychological safety, a safe space for people to add to the shared pool of meaning. And so I think about how often we come into a space, like you were talking about, and this I think goes along with psychological safety, some of the things that have happened to us before, like if we come in with a bad attitude or we sense, and this in particular resonated with me when you said it, that the teacher has an agenda or the love that they do or do not feel for their students, Mm -hmm. that becomes part of their feeling of safety when they come into that classroom. And so part of what we have the responsibility to do is to check ourselves and to make sure that a priority is not just to look smart, to seem like you have all the answers, to even disseminate a great amount of information that you have spent hours researching and assimilating and you have some brilliant epiphanies of your own. No, you're trying to create epiphanies for them. And those epiphanies come when they add or assign meaning to what it is that you're discussing as a group, right? Good. Yes. So the, one of the things that I'm super, super passionate about, um, because of my work with Stephen Covey has to do with the role that listening plays in this. And we, 
studied this. He talked about it a lot. His, you know, habit five is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I've thought a lot about how that applies to our role as teacher, because I think we often think that our job is to do the speaking, right? right. And I would right. say that in our role, we still have two ears and one mouth. And that same rule of use them accordingly applies when you are in a teaching role. Mm -hmm. It's less about what you say, and it's more about what you hear from the students that should be guiding what you say next. Whoa, and whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying that more from more than your outline, more than your agenda, whoa. more than what you prepared, it's the students' reactions that should be guiding your teaching. What? That's so it horrible, is. right? It is. Yeah, it is. It's terrifying. And it's so funny because you mentioned Elder Bednar last week. I think that he um, is like the epitome of the example of this. And wasn't it him that talked about the idea like when you're preparing a sacrament meeting talk or was it somebody else? There was one point I remember taking, uh, was it from Teaching the Greater Call? I can't remember. Have no idea the source. Where they <laughs> yeah. talked about the fact that you should prepare, 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 and then come open. Like you can have a vague outline, but don't you dare write out your entire talk. Don't you dare write out your entire lesson. Right. 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 I write out my entire lesson. Yeah. Like that's a hard <laughs> thing for me. And so I'm kind of trying to undo some habits. Like I really, part of why I do it is because I like to have a journal of what I've studied. And that's a way for me mm. to kind of keep a journal sure. of it. But then I literally, my brain have to go and let's see what actually happens. And so there's, I will validate this claim with a statement from Jeffrey R. Holland. I printed it out. It says, perhaps even more important than speaking is listening. And then this is a key. He says, if we listen with love, we won't need to wonder what to say. And so this mm. idea of like throwing out our mm. lesson and the vulnerability that goes into that, I mean, there's reassurance here. And I think that this really is because that means that the spirit can always teach us what to say. It's like that whole idea that they, you know, the prophets and apostles as they're going out in the early days of the church didn't really need to take thought for, you know, different things that they're providing for themselves, nor did they need to really take thought for what they were gonna say. They, they would be given the words, they would be given what they needed. And that's the same promise that's applied to the callings that we have as teachers specifically, right? Right. The take no script, just, just, treasure up in your mind kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm so bad at quoting scripture. So sorry if I like botched all of that that I just No, you said. did not. No, that's great. No, that's really great. But how often is someone like your guess, what percentage of, let's say gospel teachers in a classroom setting, because mainly that's what we're talking about right now, right, right. is how many, what percentage are comfortable doing what you're doing oh would you say? gosh like doing what i'm talking about you mean yeah. because i'm not saying that i do it perfectly right like, i mean like one percent i mean this don't you think it's super low? it's super low right and it's what we're taught to do like in theory right when we talk about teaching within the church they talk about the idea that our job is to facilitate a discussion it's not right. to go up and have all the information right but man this is tough it is. And so the thing that 
point that I really want to make sure gets driven home today is that we have the power to make or break people's willingness to add to the shared pool of meaning by how we respond to their answers to our questions. <laughs> so it's okay. Go, go for it. Because <laughs> I got a little bouncy in there. I realized I kind of went crazy in it. One of the main things that we need to remember is that people's willingness to add to the shared pool of meaning will in large part be determined by how we respond to their answers to our questions. Did you follow that? Yes. So really, this is a third layer. You've got the question, you've got the answer, and then you've got our response to their answer. And yes. a large the a large percentage of our success will depend on that third layer right there. Correct. Okay. So think about when we talked about the different types of questions that we ask, right, from last time, there is a specific type of answer or response that you get to that question. Right. So binary, you usually get a yes or a no, a this or a that, yes. right? Informational, you're getting information. Right. You know, in, oh my gosh, I just had a brain cramp. Informative? No. What's the next one? Info um, I had brain cramp too. <laughs> you threw me off. I know the last one's introspective. <laughs> what is it? Factual. It's supposed Fa to be factual. We factual, get thank you. And then. Factual, then that third one. Boy, you totally threw me off. I'm focused so much on this. I'm so sorry. Is it important? I should know this myself. I know, Kevin, you wrote the book. I know. <laughs> okay, never mind. So that next one, I'm pretty sure it's an I. It'll come back. It'll come back. Is their opinion, right? That's a little bit about explanatory. Like, explanatory. There we go. Thank you. No, it's not an I. It's an E. I'm for E. Okay, so the explanatory question is a little bit more about their opinion, and mm -hmm. then this is the I. The introspective question is really about their meaning. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I want to. Have you have you ever? I mean, I can remember some specific examples, and I don't expect you to remember a specific example. But can you remember being in a class where you offered a response to a question or a comment, and then you felt shut down? Oh, absolutely. Okay, like what types of things did the teacher do that like made you feel shut down? <laughs> what did they do? So specifically i remember one it, it was a good question and i don't remember what the question was but i remember it was a good question and i mm -hmm. started answering and the teacher Im almost immediately as i started answering went and looked at their notes i'm assuming to figure out where to go next right right and i'm answering and they're like uh-huh uh-huh oh. and then i finish and they say good now let's talk about and I thought, why, okay. why did I even say anything at all? Okay. That is the perfect example. I'm going to give you one other example. Okay. okay? <clears throat> I answer a question. It's a heartfelt response to the question. And then they literally said nothing. Nothing? Just moved on. No. Nothing. Zilch. And then I watched them do that to another person. And then I watched them do it to another person. And I was like, whoa, dude. And then very rarely would you get more comments after that. But I remember sitting in that classroom being like, wow. Seriously? So 
So let me let me start with those two examples because I'm sure that there are a dozen others, but this will help me to set it up just a little bit. Okay. So I feel like some of these principles of listening apply really well to how we respond um, as a teacher. And so illustrated in those two examples that we got or that we just gave are a couple of levels of listening. So there are these four levels of listening. Okay. And the first level is ignoring. Okay. okay. So you, my, my example is an ignoring example, right? It's almost like they literally didn't even hear me. Right. Okay. So nobody needs to dig any further, but like a, a teacher can also ignore it. I, and I've actually done this before on purpose because it's inappropriate. Right. Yes. So I'm not saying that there isn't a place for this. Mm -hmm. You as a facilitator also have the responsibility to make <clears throat> sure that it's going the right direction and in direction that invites the spirit. So right? really, really ignoring will shut someone down. And if that's what you're intending to do, then by Wait. all means. <laughs> Use it. Use it appropriately. Exactly. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's actually really good. Um, okay, so the second level of listening is pretend listening. Okay. That was your example to a T, right? Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I've done that before too, because I I've have too. been lost. I've asked a question and I did it specifically with the intention of trying to like find my place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I uh-huh, uh-huh. So, We've all done it as well. And honestly, maybe you did need to get recollect yourself. Sure. So, I mean, there's a much better way to do it. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but we all have done it. Okay. Yes. So the next level is attentive listening. And I think a lot of people do this really well. And attentive listening is when you as a teacher, you may even use the same words and be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, kind of like the pretend listening one, but the difference is that you are riveted on that person as they're talking to you. You are making mm. rich eye contact. You're engaged in what it is they're saying. They can sense that you're engaged. You might even respond in a way that shows that you were engaged. So attentive listening, good job. But there is another <laughs> level of listening that helps to really encourage the free flow of meaning. And that is empathic listening. And so when you hear those two terms side by side, how would you, and we'll talk about this more, but I want to know just your gut reaction. What would you say you think the difference between the two is? What's the difference between listening attentively versus listening empathically? I may totally botch this up. Go for it. I and like it me if I do. Watch it. Okay. <clears throat> I would say attentive listening is like a mirror where okay. it's just okay i i it's it like it's information i got i got it i i have been informed by what you by what your answer is empathic is almost taking it into yourself and into through your lens as well and maybe even responding with something through your lens or trying to understand their lens and getting a little bit deeper or it just shows a level of of engagement that attentive listening it is just a kind of a, a ping great you heard me right where the other one is much more central to who that person is you're you're internalizing it more uh, okay so let me summarize what i think i heard you say that attentive listening is almost like a mirror 
and it's almost like just information. So the free flow of information maybe, right? Sure. And it's like, you heard it. And that's kind of how you know you were attentively listening. Where empathic listening, what I heard you say is that you take it in and then you almost run it through your own lens as well, your own perspective, and you kind of try and relate on some level to what it is that they're saying. Good. Is that, is that what you're saying? Sure. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. I, did you just do that? I did, but you're wrong. But that's wrong? That's wrong. Okay. Let me tell you what the, the difference is. Okay? okay. Tell me. And this is kind of a little bit of a paradigm shift. Okay. Attentive listening is from within your frame of reference. And empathic listening is from within theirs. Okay, so explain you that. almost have to separate the two. So what you were saying about empathic listening, you talked about it being kind of the marriage between their yes. paradigm and yours, their right. meaning and yours. Empathic listening is actually paradigm taking. So you are in a way setting aside your own paradigm, leaving it over here and really working hard to see something through their eyes, through their lens. Your paradigm is peace out for a minute. Okay. Like there's no filtering through your own paradigm for a minute. Is that even possible, Julie? Seriously. Okay. So the answer is no, right? It's okay. not. Okay. However, because you can't let go of all of it, but your right. point is not for you to get it. The point is for them to know you feel what they feel. Gotcha. So when it's within your frame of reference, you like students should be listening from within their own frame of reference. You want them to really be taking all of this information and figuring out how it applies to them. Attentive listening is the best kind of student. But as a teacher, what you want to do is take on their paradigm so that what you say means something to them. And sometimes the way you help to make that connection is to share your own experiences. So there is a place for your own paradigm. But when it comes time for them to share, you're setting yours aside and you're investing in theirs. Does okay. that make sense? Giving me a blank stare. I'm giving you a blank stare because I want to hear a great example of, of how I might do that. Okay. So here is a thought. Pretend that, pretend, just fake it, just pretend. We're gonna <laughs> okay. For a minute. Okay. You're in a classroom. Yes. And you have just shared something and you see one of your students start to cry. Okay. And then okay. they raise their hand. You ask a question maybe, or maybe you don't, I don't know, mm -hmm. but Maybe what you did is actually, let's use this. You asked an introspective question. And in response to that, you see someone tear up a little bit. Okay. And they raise their hand and they share an experience with you. So you being from that classroom, being like, I heard you, that's great, is one thing. But you being able to literally step into what that experience was is a totally different thing. And then where you take the discussion afterwards is guided by their response. Okay. So let's actually, let me, let me back up. Cause I want to teach something that will help to kind of solidify this a little bit better. Okay. 
So there are some skills that go into empathic listening and all of us are really, really bad at it because most of us do things that we shouldn't do that aren't empathic and we think we're being empathic. Okay. So perspective taking, empathic listening is from their frame of reference. Attentive listening is from our own frame of reference. Okay. So if you're trying to get into their frame of reference, it has nothing to do with you. You're stepping into there. Sometimes what you actually do to show them that you're listening empathically is you repeat back what you heard them say. So they know you captured all the information. You're not adding your own interpretation of it. You're not judging. You're not agreeing. You're not disagreeing. You're not asking a question to probe for more information because that's from your frame of reference and it puts you in the driver's seat. Hmm. You are not adding your own autobiography. You're not adding to it. You are literally staying in what they have just shared. Does that make sense? Yes. So when you are staying in what they just shared, you have to capture what it is that you're sharing and your goal because you want to be within their frame of reference goes away from, okay, what's my next comment going to be? How am I going to reply to this? How does this apply to me? Nope. Set it aside. You are stepping into their frame of reference. And so your goal instead becomes how can I capture the meaning behind what it is that they're trying to tell me from within their frame of reference. So let me repeat what I think I heard. Okay. We ask a question, they answer, and then we respond with the essence of what they said, not through our lens, but through their lens. But we almost consolidate it down and say, this is what you said. This is what I heard you say. Okay. Right. Or this is what you said. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so let me add to that just a little bit. Sometimes the skill of being able to consolidate it down is a little bit difficult because yes. then we're about how am I going to summarize this? And that's our frame of reference, right? So part of, cause you're worried about your own reply. You're worried about how you're going to summarize this. So part of the skill building that goes into empathic listening is the practice of mirroring. It's making sure, okay, I heard all that you said. I captured everything. I didn't leave things out. I didn't emphasize the points that were most important to me. I actually captured it all. So we just literally would robot back almost what someone says. And you get in the habit then of listening to the whole thing that they said rather than, okay, listening to this little bit. Oh, I attach myself to that nugget because that means something to me. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're like trying to listen to the whole thing. Okay. Have you ever been in a class when somebody has made a comment and then they almost add a little side note and you know that that side note is where the most meaning is, but they mm. feel a little bit scared about it or it's a little bit tender. And so they're kind of sticking their toe in the water, seeing how you'll react to that. But that was the most important part. Have you ever experienced that before? I don't know that I have recognized that. I, it probably it. has happened, but I think about it in a conversation with someone. So okay. don't think about in a teaching setting. Okay. You're in a conversation with someone. Sure. And they say something and you realize that they've just mentioned something that's pretty important to them. And it was kind of like a little sideline thing. Like you kind of maybe have almost finished listening and then they add this last little nugget. Sure. And that last nugget is the most important part. Like with my kids, yes. Amen. 
So part of what mirroring back and being in the practice of I want to capture all the information does to our brain is it trains us to be in the habit of listening to everything that somebody has to say instead of being like, oh, I caught it. I know what they mean. And then moving on in our, in our brains. Mm. Does that make sense? So there's yes. an undoing of the moving on habit that we have to work on in our training of empathic listening. And so we almost start with mirroring. And we talked about mirroring as being attentive listening. Mirroring can be empathic when you're trying to capture all the information that somebody has shared. Okay. So then the next step after that would be to kind of rephrase it, which is what you were describing. And that's okay. the skill that comes after you know you've captured all of the information. Mm -hmm. So you're in the habit of saying, okay, I didn't leave anything out. And this is what I think they were really getting at. And that is the master skill of a teacher to respond and be able to say, I think this is what I hear you saying. Did I get that right? Do you see what I'm saying? Does yes. That make sense? Okay. And that is as a teacher, when you are in kind of a dialogue, you've asked a question, somebody adds their insight, let's say their experience, their meaning, let's use that word. Then you kind of rephrase it and say, this is what I heard you say. And then they have the chance to correct you because maybe you got it wrong. And the beautiful thing about this is that as a teacher, because of the fact that you do have to have an element of control over everything continuing to move, you can't just like empathize with every single question that comes. When you respond in an empathic way, you keep the dialogue going because then the person is like, yes, that's what I felt. They, and then other people start to feel safe going, wait a minute, he really invested in what it was the other person just said, okay. which makes it feel more safe to add. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you just answered a question that I had as you're going through this. My, my question in my brain as you were saying that, it was, well, what is the outcome of that? What is the benefit for that person, if I'm going to just, you know, I'll say summarize back to yep. them what they had. And it's really so that they feel safe and valued. And validated. And, and validated. Good. And not only them, but the other people listening as well yes. to say something else. Yes. To add to the conversation, to add to the meaning. Exactly. So the gotcha. difference between attentive listening and empathic listening when you're in mm. a teaching role is that people when it's emotion when it's heart attentive listening is not enough and so if you for example are like making eye contact i heard everything you said and then you go right back to your own autobiography yeah they don't buy that you really heard what they said and if you, for example, hear them say something that was, you could clearly tell had deep meaning to them, it's okay to say, wow, that was a really important experience or really meaningful experience to you and show them, I'm seeing the emotion that you're bringing to the story. I am feeling with you. Like I am perspective taking. I, while you told that story, I sat with you. I'm here. I wasn't in my brain thinking about the experience that I had last week that was similar. 
because the minute you go somewhere else in your brain, people sense it. Sure. And so that even includes preparing your reply. You can attentively listen and still be preparing your reply because you are hanging out in your own frame of reference while you're attentively listening. Mm. And so this perspective taking, this empathic listening invites the additional um, kind of meaning to that pool by creating psychological safety for everyone in that space. That's Does great that, stuff. Yes. And it's confusing <clears throat> to the skill of empathic listening. Like I said, the first level is to just make sure you're capturing all of it, right? Like, like yes. kind of mirroring it back. The second is to rephrase content. The third is to reflect feeling, which is where you kind of give the feeling a label, so to speak, to make sure, and this is, you're gonna get it wrong sometimes and that's okay because you are perspective taking, they feel it, you're trying to give it a label. If you give the wrong label, then great, let them correct you. Mm -hmm. okay. They're not like, mad that you gave it the wrong label because what right. they feel from you is, I am sitting with you in that space. And then the next level of it is to collectively, you know, rephrase content and reflect feeling at the same time. Lastly is just heart body empathy, where when you develop a rapport with everybody in that classroom and you, they trust that you're going to have this type of kind of safe, rich, meaningful discussion. They, I had somebody say this one time and it was the nicest compliment someone has ever paid me. They said, I can't help but share in this class. sorry hold on a sec i'm recording oh. my dear i'm so sorry hi kelly i love that that's one. my wife so my kelly we're actually recording the podcast right now so people <laughs> wanted to see her face she's that's okay that's all right that is real life that is real life i don't will you shut the door then i'm sorry we're almost done to be my real life <laughs> i'm not gonna edit that out by the way you shouldn't you that's shouldn't life is part of this <laughs> But I will repeat it just so that it. Please, please do. Please do. Hold on. I got to remember what I said. You're on the fifth? Yeah, the fifth heart body. Oh, okay. So the nicest compliment someone ever paid me when I was teaching was that they're like, oh my gosh, I just like come and I just can't help but share my feelings. I just can't help but like want to share. They're mm. like, I didn't plan on coming and sharing this. And I'm like, oh, that sure. Say to me ever. Interesting. Sure. And it's because of this, because we create an environment where people know that we honor their meaning mm -hmm. and they do that, you do that by perspective taking, like by climbing down in that space with them for just a minute, hanging out there, making clear that you're there with them. And that's the most important thing in that moment. I love that. Because the one, okay, so this is, as you're saying all this, this is incredible. And I'm, I'm putting my perspective on it. And so I'm doing yeah. attentive listening. Right? No, 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 no. This is great. I want, I want that. Because so when, as you're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking when you go through the types of questions, you go from binary, binary to factual, explanatory, introspective, you get to the introspective and you, and you purposefully kind of create a space to do, to ask all these questions and build up to these introspective questions. And if we don't 
answer their answers appropriately, we could get up to the introspective questions and kind of ruin it and have to go backwards. Okay, you nailed it. The biggest epiphany that I had, so I was teaching this questions thing to missionaries at their zone yes. conferences, right? And I right. plagiarized everything that you do. And when we were talking about it, the next like step was you have to respond with empathy to introspective questions. So can I teach one more thing really fast? Absolutely. Okay. So there is a skill that Stephen Covey used to always talk about, and he talked about how Native American tribe leaders, tribal leaders would gather in these councils and they would use something called the talking stick. Right. And the idea is that whoever has the talking stick has the floor and can speak and nobody else can talk except to ask a clarifying question. And then other members of the council have to earn the talking stick. And so that person, you earn the talking stick by helping the person holding it to feel understood. Uh. And so I make my point and I don't give up the talking stick until I feel like everyone in that room perspective took, so to speak. They gotcha. stood with me, took my perspective and understood clearly my point. And they do that. How do you like earn the talking stick if you like how do you how do you think you do that how do you show that you've perspective taken well i hold on i've got to say that i've never understood that the i've oh. heard of the talking stick i mean i've read the seven habits before talking stick right but it's never clicked that it wasn't passed on until they felt understood i thought yeah. It, it was it was it's always been in my mind that okay whose turn is it next you're the only one who can talk right and that's so much deeper and so much more powerful than just everyone else shut up <laughs> while right. I have the floor. Right. Yeah. Think, okay. So think about that in a classroom. Right. Like what you are literally doing as a teacher is you talk and then you are figuratively handing the talking stick to that person. Right. And you hold yourself accountable for earning it back. Mm -hmm. And the way you earn it back is to show that you understood and you can't just nod to show you understood and you can't just even say I'm doing right now so much sense right like that does not show understanding what shows understanding is you repeating it back saying i caught all of that here's what i felt that you were feeling did i get that right invest 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 and then they're like yeah you get it and they will give you the talking stick you've earned it back and so when you think about that skill hmm. in a teaching environment, you as a teacher are literally handing the talking stick to different individuals in that space. And then your job, the mini vast and introspective question, that's your clue to here's the talking stick. And now my job is to respond with empathy. You don't have to ask a binary question and then give them the talking stick. You don't have to ask even a factual question and give them a talking stick. Sometimes explanatory questions you are because you want to make sure that you understand it. But when you are talking meaning, you perspective take. You are taking yourself out of the driver's seat and you are handing them the steering wheel. You are handing them the talking stick. And then you don't get it back until you have shown them that you understand what it is that you've shared. If you're not going to do that, then you haven't earned the right to ask introspective questions of them. Because mm. I think it's a privilege 
right, to yeah. get responses to those questions. Right. And even if you try to do introspective questions, responding back in, 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 in a less appropriate way may be, again, counter counterintuitive, counterproductive, I'll say. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Well, so expand on that, though. <laughs> Why would it be counterproductive if you don't respond right? What ends up happening in the that room? Space? Yeah, the room around them just says, oh, they're really not going to listen. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this great example of a number of things that you have said reminded me of a number of times that I have been in a uh, one of the leadership meetings with Elder Bednar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I happened to, when I was, uh, when we were in Alabama, we, uh, stake leadership, we met with them, met with him there for several meetings. And then when uh, moving to here, Vancouver-ish, yeah. Washington, he happened to be the one coming again. So I've had a couple different times with several yep. meetings and he would use almost the exact wording that you would use. He said he would ask a question and and really it's, instead of being up there during a leadership meeting and, and saying, this is what I want to tell you, he would ask three, maybe four questions. Mm -hmm. And the whole time, two and a half hours, it was him asking the question, and then we would respond to it. And then he would say, let me say back to you what I think I heard you say. Yes. I, I'm, I mean, again and again and again and again, and he would say yeah. that, and, he, and, and then he would say, do I have that right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. we would, and then we would say yes, or sometimes it would be no, yeah. actually, and then he would clarify and okay, and then great, he would, he would truly understand. And then he might ask, does anyone have anything that they want to add to that? Or, or he may have something, some insights to further or to, um, I would say hone or uh, kind of because, maybe teach a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Help us focus a little bit more, even in what he said and expand our knowledge in that or our feelings or our faith or something in that. But he was saying that over and over and over again. And I just thought, wow, that's really good. I'd never put a label to it before. Right. Okay, think about what you just described. So when he repeats back, I mean, that's mirroring, right? Yes. He's repeating back and he's like, did I get that right? What if you're the person listening mm -hmm. and you didn't even make the comment, okay? You're a person listening. Think about what thoughts are going through your head. You're like, wow, he really values what it is they're saying. And it's not just that he's taking it in and then running his own filter through it, he wants to understand what they mean. Right. He's investing in their perspective. Yes. And then when it comes time to say, like he's never, I, I think that there's so much value in saying, did I get that right too? Because that opportunity to be like, yeah, you totally understood me. That is just, I mean, ah, uh, like mm -hmm. that, Opens your heart yes. wide. If, if you're the person that shared that and you're like, Elder Bednar valued, you know, Kevin Jones valued so much what it was that I had to say. Wow. Like, that's amazing. And then the opportunity to build on it. I mean, that's now you have just made a contribution to the overall learning of everybody in that space. Yes. And that feels good. Yes. Like you are invested in that lesson. You are invested in that discussion. Yep. And we were. I mean, each time 
We were totally invested in it. And, and I've always seen mirroring back to them as, I, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. <clears throat> almost, I don't want to say useless, but almost no. corny in a way, right? Because it can't, robotic or, yes, exactly. Uh-huh. But the way he did it, it wasn't at all. It was, it, there was nothing robotic, nothing corny, nothing dorky about it. He said it in a, he did it in a way that we totally knew that he knew what we were talking about. And anyone could say anything and be as valued as well, because these were introspective questions that he would, he was asking. In fact, the, one of the first things he did was say, I'm going to ask a question and I want you to know that I'm not fishing for an answer. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I don't have the answer. I want to know what your answer is. Isn't that? Oh yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Well, and I love what you're describing because I feel like so often the spirit, that's where, that's the space in which the spirit works. So if you think about, you know, Brene Brown talks about the idea that a prerequisite to connection in a relationship is authenticity and authenticity requires some vulnerability. And so what you want, like this meaning that people are bringing to the discussion, you want their authentic selves. Right. And in order for it to be authentic, it's also going to be vulnerable, which means that some of their soft spots are going to be exposed Mm -hmm. and you have to honor that. And so when you talk about it kind of feeling robotic or feeling kind of corny or something like that, and then you experience it done in a way that is empathic versus robotic, you're like, wow, that's the difference. So I'm in a professional setting. What I will oftentimes do as I'm teaching this skill is I will model it the whole time. And then they'll be like, but then when we go to do it, it's kind of cheesy and it's dumb. People think you're being a robot and then they're offended and it's condescending. And it's, and I'm like, Oh, I've been doing it the whole time. Did you feel like I was being condescending? And they're like, oh, right. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? And you can kind of start to see it as a way of being genuinely engaged in what another and genuinely invested in what somebody else has to say. Right. So and- here's it has to be done though from a place of appropriate intention too. Right. Good point. Right? Yes. Sorry, what were you just going to say? I was going to say, so as I practice this, because I don't do this, or maybe I do it to a little degree and I don't know it, I, I need to kind of take evaluation on on what I actually do with this. But as I do this, I know I'm going to flub up and do some things wrong. And I'm just going to have to do that again and again and work through it until it gets to the level where it it is actually working to where right. I'm saying it and it's natural and it's not robotic, but I have to be okay. And, and I'm really saying this about myself. I'm not saying this about everyone else, although it may apply for myself. I'm going to have to be vulnerable and start trying this and mess up and be okay with messing up until I get it right. I love that you just said, you're going to mess it up because that is 100% of all of us, including those that are really good at empathy. Sure. Like, I could see that. 
This is something that I study and I still, you put me in a teaching situation around the kitchen table at my own house and my children come up with the goofiest responses to these genuine questions that I'm asking at our come follow me study. Right. And I said, level one, ignoring. I'm just like, let's move past it. You're driving me insane. Level two. So like, we all are going to struggle as we try to do this. If I could say that the first thing to start with is what you described Elder Bednar doing. When mm. someone answers a question, instead of preparing your reply, train yourself to invest so much in their answer that you can summarize it and then have the vulnerability to ask, did I get that right? And that's sure. all that matters in that moment. And that's the one thing I would encourage people to take away from this, to start practicing. And it's, you know, it's so interesting because as you look at all of this and you think about what's one thing that I can do to do, you know, to be better at this, I um, start looking at all of these scriptures that talk about like the fruit of this effort, because I'm like, it seems to me like it's just a skill. Why is it really going to make that big of a difference? And I have these two that I wrote down just really quickly. Um, and this is a proverb that is so, so good. And this goes back to the idea that sometimes as teachers, we're just so anxious to say what we want to say and to get across the lesson we have prepared. Okay. And it's Proverbs 18, 13. And it says, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Well, look at that. So, you know, here we are trying to really give people all the answers to life's questions and invite the spirit and da, 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 da. it is a folly on a shame unto us if we don't first hear and invest in their perspective we have to get to know other people we have to invest in what the gospel means to them and then i mean this is like missionary one-on-one right you right. one-on-one build right. on common and so let's, we have to listen. We have to invest in other people's perspectives to be able to meet them where they are and build on that and invite the spirit to those conversations. Oh, this is so good. I've got so far to go. Uh, so do all of us work in progress. Right. Boy, you know, I, I really, I, I think that if, so we, we've been mainly talking about a kind of a classroom situation, but yep. I'm also thinking of this as a parent to child, oh. Oh, spouse. I'm, I'm thinking every, everything and where can I use this? Of course, again, like you said, it's not, you don't use it all the time with every question, no. but when you get to the introspective questions, then you need to be thinking about, you know, is it appropriate to do that? And if you're trying to if you're trying to make it so that the safe there's a safe space between you and that person or you and many people then that's an excellent skill to have right that i'm going to work know, on tangentially just really really quickly when yes. we're talking about our kids i think this is the hardest and our spouses this is the hardest place for us to practice it but it's where sure. it means the very very most right mm -hmm. and i think that our clue is that when we start to see somebody gasping for emotional air, we go to empathy. Let me explain what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. You are having a conversation with someone, classroom or otherwise, 
and all of a sudden the air gets sucked out of the room, are they going to hear anything that you're saying? No, because what's their motivation? They just got to breathe. They just got to breathe. And air is to the body what feeling understood is to the heart. And so if we can give people emotional air and we do that by empathy, then we they can hear what we have to say. You give people emotional air when you invest in their perspective. And until then, they're gasping. So if your spouse mm. comes at you with something, they're yelling, they're emotional, they're, you know, just whatever it is that they're saying, they keep interrupting you, that's another clue. They shut down, that's another clue. All these signs, crucial conversations, we call them silence or violence, right? People mm -hmm. getting a little bit more aggressive or people shutting down depending on their communication style. When people go to silence or violence, that's a clue that safety's at risk. When people start kind of coming at you with a lot of emotion or shutting down, again, that's a clue that they need emotional air. They're gasping for oxygen. You think about aggress aggressive conversations you have with your spouse or we're super defensive or whatever, emotional air. So the way you give them emotional air is through the skill of empathy. You stop trying to prepare your reply, make your point, and your only goal is to perspective take. Help earn the talking stick back. Seek first to understand. And then once they have emotional air, they will then offer you the same gift. That's good. I think if we all can just remember the talking stick and that you have to earn it back. And, and you yeah. really think, I just asked a question, I've given it to you, I'm not gonna take it back until you understand that I understand you. Yes, until you feel understood. There you go. Love it. No kidding, boy, I've got so much to think about now. <laughs> you know, it's so funny, because because every time I talk about it, I like think more about it, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I still have so much to work on. Like, this sure. is hard stuff. Yes. All of it's hard. Right. But if we can get it and if we can just do a little bit better next time. And and I really feel that as we start to do this, especially when we're teaching the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, the spirit's going to be there to help us. And when we mess up, which I'm about to do soon, I'm sure <laughs> the spirit can kind of blunt my incorrect way of doing it and soften it up a little bit so that it's not so maybe abrasive or just completely wrong or whatever it is but or give us the strength we need to to be brave enough to do some of this because some for me it's going to take some bravery to even start to do this right i mean remember what jeff holland said you know if we try and do this we won't need to wonder what to say yeah like, this exercise this effort this intentionality will invite the spirit Mm, that's good. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've learned a ton. I love this. Now, for everyone out there, if you would, please subscribe, rate, listen, share. What? And comment. 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 Like, I want to know. I want to know if this is resonating with people. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Please. In fact, we're going to be talking about that kind of really soon here on another episode shortly. So, yes, please comment back. Let us know. Have you used this? What have you done? How has this worked for you? Your experiences. We would love to hear experiences as well. Those are always good. Love it. Thanks so much, Julie. Appreciate it. Great hanging out. Thanks. Take care, everyone.